VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Hello, I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and congratulations because you've made it through to another round of The Game Podcast. And believe me when I tell you, it's no mean feat, because after recording our podcast this morning, we suffered a major technical breakdown, which is why we're going to sound a little bit different today. We'll be covering the FA Cup, the plight of Andre Villas-Boas and Arsene Wenger, and also, why are football clubs in danger of going bust? In the first part of our program, I'll be joined by Tony Cascarino and the Smiths, Ben and Rory. So let's start at Sunderland and Arsenal. And uh, um, I've actually praised Martin O'Neill the last uh, two weeks, and I've eaten, eaten humble pie on this podcast, but probably appropriate uh, to do it uh, some more. Cass, I don't think we've heard from you, and since you're the most Irish one here, I believe, what is Martin O'Neill doing differently and better than uh, Steve Bruce? Well, he's, made, he's, he's walked into a football club and made a massive impact. I think he does the basic of football um, very, very well. Um, some people just might raise their eyebrows to that, um, but I think there's a, a lot to be said for making players do the right things, work hard, roll up their sleeves, and play in a formation that does suit them. They, you know, they, they don't have to play, which you would normally assume with uh, Martin O'Neill, a big centre forward, and yet Cessignon and his movement, um, supplied by wingers who who are prepared to get their backs up and down the line. A very, just a massive team ethic of hard work. I wouldn't say extraordinary technical ability, but the odd player in there aside can, you know, produce a, a moment of magic. These are all the same people Bruce had. Well, he, well, he did, um, but Bruce sort of, he easily couldn't really find a formula for Cessignon to get more goals. Um, Cessignon, for me, struggled and flattered to deceive at times, and yet technically, Steve Ray, not bad. He's a, he's, a, he's a good footballer and surprisingly got a great turn of foot when he needs to. It's look. It doesn't mean Bruce is a bad manager. Sometimes you can be a, a football club, and things just change for you. And saying the same old jargon in the, the dressing room and having to change players around. What's happened at Sunderland? The players are having to prove to themselves that to Martin O'Neill that they're worthy of a place in his team. So they're fighting for their shirts. And again, there's a lot to be said for fighting for a shirt on a on a Saturday afternoon. But Roy, the. Um Stefan Sessegnon, I have some play him as a winger, attacking midfielder. I mean, I back on board what Cass said, but 
this idea, and I appreciate maybe, you know, O'Neill had injuries and whatever else. To go and play like sort of the little quick guy who's not a striker as your center forward, and admittedly you are going to hit on the break and whatever else, that's... That's pretty creative, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's injury-inspired, isn't it? I, I think if, yeah. if he had other options up front, then... Well, when he was at Leicester, he played Matt Elliott up front because he needed the giant, so... He did, and Matt Elliott was a fine striker. Uh, him and, him and, was it Jerry Marshall as well at Leicester? Is it Ian Marshall. Ian Marshall, right? Ian Marshall, yeah. The, the old yeah. um, Wigan centre-forward. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the sort yeah, of... But the point was, Matt Elliott was a centre-half. We played him because hmm. we, he was a winner or a striker. I mean, here, like... I don't know, it just seems rather on only last. But Sessegnon's strong. I mean, I agree with you. I went, you know, when he was at PSG, he played in the hole, but he's strong. He's got good feet. He, his technique's probably as good as anyone at Sunderland's. He can, he can hold the ball up. Mm. And forget Rory as well that Fraser Campbell come back from injury and suddenly came in with a goal in each game he played. Yeah. He didn't play at the weekend, and, but he still found a formula of, of winning for, with, with having someone like Campbell, who is a good goal getter. He can produce uh, moments of magic. Ben, um, um, Niall Quinn is leaving um, which used to be chairman and then I think it became something to do with uh, career. international development was his second international role. development, was international yeah. development yeah. everybody's talking about you know a proud man he succeeded every, everywhere he's been and, and whatever else hey this is the part I don't get is okay so um, I know he's he's obviously a very intelligent guy and I've never met the guy but I, I look at since he's been chairman, the club have you know they have got this they've got this great stadium, lost money basically hand over fist, um, but they just kind of keep losing money and um, and you know they can't fill it because there's also obviously ethical economy there. You know, had Martin O'Neill not come in and he wasn't um, Martin O'Neill's biggest supporter, he would have rather stuck with Steve Bruce. Um, but but to to blame him for the club's financial problems, I'm not sure that's necessarily fair. I, th- I think, as you alluded to, there are there are deep financial problems in the economy up, up in the northeast in particular, and that that's made things much more difficult for Sutherland. But but coming back to O'Neill, I mean, he, he's won 10, 10 out of 15 games since he's come to the club. He's um, he's made you know Sutherland were an FA Cup upset waiting to happen when he took over in December, and now they're a team who may just end up lifting the trophy. In May, you never know. Um, I wish him good luck, and I hope he stays involved in football, not in the media, like maybe FIFA or UEFA. Now on to Stamford Bridge. Um, Cass and Rory have fallen uh, victims to that nasty flesh-eating disease. So Ben, well done for surviving. You're still with us. Thank you very um, much. Hey, let's dig into Birmingham City now. Uh, we don't. Uh, for me personally, I don't follow uh, the Championship. Um, I did know that. You know, they were sort of on the fringes of the playoff spots. But um I was kind of kind of impressed. You know, maybe it was the uh maybe it was the fact that they've you know, they've played a lot of games this season and they weren't expecting much from the FA Cup, so maybe the pressure was off them. Maybe it was uh it, it was Chris Hewton, but um they look to me like they're ready to challenge uh to go up to the Premier League. I think they definitely are, Gab. I think they're they're a very well-organised, hard-working side. Everything you'd expect from a, a Chris Hewton team. I mean, they're, they're unbeaten in 14 games in all competitions. They're on the brink of the playoffs with a game in hand, and um, and they they were excellent. I thought at Stamford Bridge, and I did everything they they should have done to nullify Chelsea. Now, Chris Hewton, a little over a year ago, we were all talking about what a genius he was because he'd. You know, he'd taken Newcastle back up to the Premier League without spending much money and, you know, and sort of steer them into mid-table tranquility. 
And then, uh, and then he gets uh, he gets the boot. Alan Pardew took uh, took over. And don't get me wrong, obviously, you know Newcastle's gone from strength to strength since then. But I was sort of thinking to myself, like, why didn't Hutton stick around for maybe another Premier League job? Did he have that much faith in in Birmingham and, and their ability to, to come back? Uh, it just seems a bit strange, especially given uh, some of the issues uh, with. Uh, with with the owners and um, and and Carson's hair. <laughs> now I think Chris is a uh, is a realist, and I think he knows that that many Premier League owners don't view him as a, as a big name, and and in many circles he's still viewed as a as a kind of number two, which I think is probably a bit unfair. He he was he was thrown out by Newcastle because they didn't feel he was a man who who took who would take the tough decisions, who wouldn't challenge them. Uh, he he. It was felt he was just someone who who towed the party line too much, which again I think is completely unfair. But he's in waiting for Birmingham, going to Birmingham. He he took on a very very tough project. I mean, in the summer he lost at least twelve players, walked out the door. Um, the owners on a kind of awaiting trial in Hong Kong, five charges of money laundering, uh, which he denies, I should add. But they you know they looked like Birmingham looked like they had the potential to be a bit of a Portsmouth, but somehow. Hutton's pulled them all together. He's done a fantastic job, and now they look like they're uh, they're possible candidates candidates to go up through the playoffs this season, which is great credit to him, I, I think. You mentioned that word there, which um, which I absolutely hate, um, big name. Um, <laughs> and no, but I'm looking at the the, the folks who were who were managing um, Premier League clubs. I know, Gab, uh, we, at the start of the season, and and. Seriously, are you, who are these bigger names? You know, when we talk about big names, I mean, I'm looking at the guys who are, who are managing in, in the Premier League at the start of the season, and, you know, is Neil Warnock, Mick McCarthy, or, or Steve Keen, are these guys far bigger names than, than Chris Hutton? No, they're not. They're certainly not. But but I, I think there is a, a feeling that Hutton perhaps isn't in this... Um, this merry-go-round that goes around the old boys club perhaps that gets these jobs and and, uh, he's somewhat on the outside of that having been an assistant manager for so long Um, he did a great job at Newcastle but but people forget that because of what what Pardew's done since then I think and 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 although he isn't in that club, he certainly deserved to be to be considered by these Premier League clubs because he's an excellent coach. He's a good manager. He knows how to deal with his players. And and um, these are the type of managers we we want to see more of in the Premier League. I'd like to see more of in the Premier League anyway. Now I would ask you who you'd like to see less of, but uh, I don't want to uh, get you in in trouble. Uh, plus, Neil Warnock has a job now. Um, so let's move on to um, to, to, to to Chelsea and. Are you trying to get something out of the way uh, on, on Fernando Torres? Uh, we won't be debating his lack of confidence and all this jazz because, frankly, uh, we've all been there. Um, but obviously, he hasn't scored since the middle of October. Um, what is it, nearly 1,300 minutes without a goal. The the remarkable sort of subtext, and, and you could read all about it in, in Rory's piece, uh, Rory Smith's piece in uh, the game on Monday, is that he was being marked by his former teammate, um, <clears throat> Pablo Ibanez, who in some ways has... His career, in some ways, has followed a somewhat similar trajectory, although he's got perhaps some more mitigating factors in that, you know, at age 21, Pablo was uh, you know, breaking into the the, 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 Spain, the Spain squad and, um, you know, looked like a next great center half. Kind of really lost his way also through injuries and whatnot. And yet on the day, um, pretty much had uh, El Nino in his, uh, his back pocket, uh, much like he... 
he never did when uh, they came up against each other at Atletico Madrid's uh, training sessions some six or seven years ago. He did. I mean, you, you would hope that Pablo has improved a little because if he hasn't, then Fernando's, you know, really, really lost his way. I mean, which we know he has, but he, I thought he played fantastically well against Torres. He, he clearly knew what to do to to nullify the the guy who used to run circles around him at Atletico, and um, he, um, he he looked all the you know every inch a defender that deserved to to be on that pitch there, and and that's probably a measure more of Fernando Torres's form than anything. Now Didier Drogba is uh, back in. Obviously, uh, the, the cameras showed him trying to g up his uh, teammates in the uh, in the tunnel at halftime. Um, I thought he did all right in the second half. Some thought um, he he might have done better, but you know given given what he was doing sort of uh, uh, a week earlier um, in, in the African Cup of Nations and the fact that he just got back, perhaps it was understandable. But I'm assuming now with the stakes so high for Chelsea, uh, is it safe to say that you know this is now going to be Drogba's team as uh, in terms of leading the line? We may even get some Lukaku and some Kalu action and uh, Torres is just going to be playing a cameo role because, you know, yes, they've committed to him, but you know, they need to get, they need to finish in the top four. Uh, they can't mess around with trying to rehab him. Absolutely. There's too, there's too much on the line there for Chelsea towards the end of the season and for Villas Boas. They just simply cannot afford to carry a player as they have been with Torres, you know, whose confidence, uh, as we've said, is shot. They'll have time to rebuild that some sometime down the line, maybe in the summer, he, he, you know, can start to find himself. But for now, Chelsea needs someone to score goals for them. They need someone to lead that line. And and Drogba is the obvious choice. You know, he he's a guy you can you can you can rely on. And, and Fernando Torres isn't that man at the moment. And and hopefully we'll see a bit more of Lukaku and maybe even Kalu because they will chip in with goals. I think Torres for now is going to have to just um, hold tight and, and sit and watch some football. I know the conundrum for for Chelsea, I think, is uh, is pretty clear. This is uh, a team that lost, I think, uh, 67 million year, um, pounds last year. Uh, I think it's 137 million over the last two seasons. Now, when financial fa- fair play kicks in, they will be limited to um, 45 million euros, uh, just under 40 million pounds in losses uh, for the first two years, and it's going to get less after that. And now, admittedly, uh, the pedants like myself will point out that accounting for financial fair play is slightly different. But I mean, broadly speaking, this is a team that has to get better and either make more money or spend less money, and they need to do it in in double quick time. Um, is it? I think we all agree it would be disastrous if they don't at least finish in the top four and get their hands on on that sort of thirty to forty Champions League a uh, million in Champions League money next year. But if you don't reach the top four, um, at the end of the season, is that when you sack Villas Boas, or are there broader considerations? I think there are broader considerations, but I'm not sure Abramovich could stand to be outside of the the European elite. I think you know his brand, his his company. He wants to he wants to be associated with something that's successful, and and so to be so far out of of Europeans, you know, Europe's top club competition. I think would be. A, a, a real bloody nose for Chelsea, and I, I think, having said that, I think Chelsea need to rebuild. I think they need the time. They they need to to regenerate this dressing room, this very very powerful dressing room, and they need to ship some players out and have time to bring some through. And whether whether Abramovich puts the pride and and prestige of the Champions League above that, I, I think he probably will. I think that will be a, a, yeah, a, but ben, a lot sorry, too far. Ben, it's not just about 
the pride and prestige and Abramovich's ego. It's about the money as well. I know that. Yeah. Well, it's about the if they don't get that forty million, then they're going to be even deeper in the hole. And you know, <laughs> even if they, and, and then they go and they spend a lot of money, there won't be a Champions League for them to play in because they won't be satisfying financial fair play requirements. No, I accept that. I accept that again. But I think there are longer term. Um, projects here for Chelsea you know that there is the regeneration of this team someone's going to have to do it at some point it isn't going to change itself and and they will have to go through a transitional period now whether they can do that while still competing in the Champions League is is another matter I'm I'm not so sure I think they're probably going to have to accept that somewhere along the line they're going to have a season where they're not in Europe's top club competition if they want to come back and build a team that can compete with the ones they had in the in the, the mid-2000s I'm just imagining this and I'm thinking to myself Okay, so which of these, all these sort of highly paid veterans, you know, are unlikely to be here in two years? Are there because their contracts? The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Will have expired or because, you know, you can easily usher them out the door with not much time left. And in two years' time, obviously, there will be no Drogba, there will be no Lampard, um, the, there might not be any Essien um, either, uh, probably no John Terry. Ashley Cole, you know, maybe the jury's out on that one. Um, now, you can look at it and say these guys really didn't contribute that much to Chelsea this season. You know, you could get to the cheaper alternatives. But what I wonder, though, is uh, do you trust Michael Emanalo and Andre Villas-Boas to be the guys to bring in, you know, cheaper, better versions of the guys that they want to they wanna turf out? Probably not, I think is the answer. Certainly in Emanalo's case, I just don't know enough about the guy to know whether whether I could trust him or not. I mean, he's he's a guy who we understand that Bramovich trusts and 
and who has Abramovich's ear, but we don't know very much about him. We don't know whether he can judge a player or whether he's a guy who can be out there buying buying players that that will help Chelsea rebuild. Bilash Barras has had great success in Portugal, but can he rebuild a team? Maybe he can. I mean, uh, do you know anything about Emanuele that I don't get? <laughs> I don't know how much you know, but uh, <laughs> obviously he's, uh, he's he's a Nigerian guy, much traveled, went to the 94 World Cup. Um, you know, Avram Grant played in Israel. Avram Grant knew him for a long time, um, had the scouting role at Chelsea. Uh, what's a bit frustrating, I think, is that, you know, he doesn't, you know, if he is the guy making the buying and selling decisions, um, you know, he doesn't really have much of a public figure. And I think it becomes difficult to sell things to, to fans, sell decisions you make to fans when, um, when, when, when you aren't speaking out to them. And um, the other thing, though, is while Villas Boas showed, uh, showed at Porto that, you know, he can, he's got a sharp tactical mind and, you know, he can be, he can really put out a, very, a winning team. Um, you know, he wasn't responsible for the buying and selling of players at Porto. Uh, you know, he was a coach who worked with the team. And obviously, his, that was the one full season he's had in the game. So, um, I think there's huge, huge decisions ahead for uh, Roman Abramovich. All right, a rough week for uh, football fans um, at either end of the country. Um, Rangers and Portsmouth both going into administration. Um, now, we won't get into the, the ins and outs of the other two situations. In the, in the case of Portsmouth, obviously, this has been a long-standing problem um, where my understanding is the most recent owners um, have fallen upon hard times elsewhere. They were maybe overstretched to begin with. Um, Rangers, a very complicated uh, a case. You can There's some very good bloggers uh, out there um, who have written about this, and, and there's been some, some pretty good coverage. But what I want to look at is how does it how does how does a football club get to this point and do the football authorities um i e the, the the leagues i guess the, the football league in Portsmouth case and the, the scottish premier league and uh, in the case of rangers should they bear greater responsibility for oversight uh, and, and and licensing um a situation like this could simply not have happened in in germany and in france for example to, to name but two where they have pretty strict um, requirements about debt to equity ratios. They have strict requirements uh, against, for example, you know, securitizing future um, uh, season ticket revenues, um, which are all things that, that Rangers have apparently done. You know, leaving the tax case um, out of it. Um, now, I know it runs against the whole free market ethos, which uh, some people champion, but. Do you think there should be more more oversight, more licensing? Should a club be told, no, you know, you can't carry this much debt. You have to start putting, bringing it down. Or, or if you want to carry this much debt, you got to put, you know, this much into into an escrow account, for example, to to show that you can meet your expenses for the next 12 months or 18 months or whatever. Uh, I think we certainly need much tighter regulation of our of our clubs and and the finances um, by the leagues in in this country. I think um, there are two two. Um, people to blame really for, for what's happened at these clubs one is the the massive mismanagement within the clubs i mean you know that the just they, they've obviously taken the clubs into administration for a reason but but the um the, the calculations and the way things have been run to, to allow the club to go into these problems is just 
it's crazy. I don't, I don't understand why people would want to do it. And and yet, you know, the Premier League ha- haven't had this, well, they had this issue with Portsmouth. But the Football League have, have allowed it to happen again at, at Pompey, and, it's, and in some ways, it's not their fault because at the moment the rules aren't there to help them govern this and to help them stop this. But when a club is, you know, when 30% of the clubs in the Championship are, are paying wages that are in excess of the money they make, it, it just doesn't. It, doesn't make sense it's gonna you know it's gonna be a problem and someone is gonna go bust and maybe that is what it's gonna have to take before everyone sits up and takes notice all right this is how i see it and i mean to me it seems so freaking simple um let's say ben smith owns a football club and you make 10 million in revenue and you want to spend 15 million in wages i football league say okay mr smith you're welcome to do so but you know that extra $5 million shortfall? You're going to write a check at the start of the season for $5 million, and you're going to put it in either in this escrow account to, to, to pay the wages or or you're simply going to, going to put it into the club to, to increase the club's equity so that if you want to spend more, you can spend more. But you have to put the money in, not rely on, on, on weirdo future you know, income projections, which, which are never going to materialize. Why would it be so difficult? Who would object to that? I mean that just sounds incredibly sensible and and, and obvious, Gab, and and um, and as you say, I mean a football club could not get itself into trouble if that was done. I mean it just it, not in that way anyway. I mean it, it just it seems too obvious, and I have no idea why our, our uh, football governors aren't aren't getting onto this and, and doing exactly that. In fact, I, I'm going to um, nominate you for the job. Thank you, and I, and I'm going to go even further. I mean, at most of these clubs, not all of them, but most of them, the value of the playing squad is often, you know, is usually greater than the, than, than the value of the debt or, or certainly greater than the value of the, uh, of the wage bill, which kind of stands to reason when you think about it. Um, why can't the league just force players to, or force clubs to, uh, um, to, 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 to increase the revenue by, by selling by selling players and not renewing certain contracts of players who might, you know, let's face it. It's not like, as I've said many times, it's not like, you know, you're running a factory where you're stuck with like a a unionized workforce for which you're going to be on the hook, you know, until they retire at age 70, you know, footballers all have contracts with maybe one, two, in some cases, three years left. And they, they sort of magically go out of contract and, and disappear as a cost item all by themselves. Absolutely. I mean, I think what, what all of this, is looking towards is the word transparency. That's what we need in the in the in the game, and that's what we have a a huge shortage of at the top level at the moment. Nobody quite knows what is going on behind closed doors when it comes to football finance, and there's not really a good reason for that. I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, I do know why clubs don't want us to know why who they're paying what and where the money's going. But you know that that's what we need. That the fans deserve it, and, and it would hopefully stop clubs getting into the kind of problems we've seen them getting into in the last few weeks. It, you know, just a bit of simple transparency. Well, now, I've brought this issue up of transparency many, many times with uh, my, my, my buddies at the Premier League, and they cite one main reason why uh, they don't have greater transparency. And by transparency, we mean not just the accounts, but, you know, establishing how much everybody gets paid, how much all the players get paid, uh, the club officials, exactly what the debt is. Which, by the way, if you had this transparency, you could ensure that there would be sort of a natural oversight because because fans and fan groups and supporters trust could could also keep an eye on situations. But they say they cite as a main reason um, 
that uh, the, the, the basically this stuff should be private because uh, it's the club's competitive advantage. Um, the idea being that if a club has been very, very clever and, you know, let's say they've signed their England right back to a contract only paying him 20 grand a week rather than 50 grand a week, um, well, then they've been clever and they want to keep that information private so that others don't go and turn his head. Now, this might be true in some parallel fantasy land. In real life, if that England right back has an agent, his agent is going to know that he's underpaid and he's going to spread the word and say, Absolutely. hey, my guy's only making 20 grand a week. He should be making 50 grand a week. Um, it's just not a good defense, is it? I mean, because you know, if you want to find out what a player, what a player is earning, what, you know, it can be done. It, it's not, it's not hard. And I can't believe footballers would be that, you know, worried about us knowing exactly what they earn to the pan because it's better than it's better than in some cases in our in our profession people having a, a stab and and you know it it doesn't make sense. It's not a good enough excuse to to stop us from having um, some transparency at the highest level. So I would argue that there's actually two reasons, two other real reasons why they don't do this. And, uh, and again, I'm not blaming the Premier League itself because they only follow orders and they would need, I guess, 14 of the 20 clubs to uh, to agree to more transparency. But the real reason uh, is, on the one hand, I think there are some people who basically take money out of clubs and basically thieve their way. Um, maybe it's a small minority, but there are some. and. And then when they've been caught in the past. Um, and uh, the other real reason, though, is that if we had you know, a very accurate sense of numbers and expenses, we would be much better at judging who is actually doing a good job, who is earning their bacon, um, and who's not. You know, it's, it's very easy to come out and say, for example, that, I don't know, Darren Bent is, much be- is a much better signing than Steve Morrison because he scores more goals. But you could break it down with, you know, look at the, the Bent's transfer fee and Morrison's transfer fee. You could look at minutes on the pitch. You could look at um, how much these guys are earning. And you could probably go and, you know, use all your money ball techniques to establish who provides greater value. And therefore, you know, who was more clever for whether it was more clever to sign Bent or more clever to sign Morrison. Um, right now, we can pretend to do that. But the reality is we don't have the tools to do that. And there's a lot of people who want to keep it that way. And by the way, I'm not p- picking on either Darren Bent or uh, Morrison. In fact, I'm kind of a fan of both. All right, time now for some quick hits. And again, we have to apologize. We are undermanned, so we will bring you, be bringing you a reduced quick hit service today, which in some ways is probably a good thing because it uh, saves me talking about how much I enjoyed Stoke beating the evil Crawley Town in, uh, in the FA Cup. Liverpool roll over Brighton 6-1, but more than the result, we caught a rare glimpse of Luis Suarez, Andy Carroll, and Stevie G together on the pitch at the same time in a competitive match. Uh, Ben, this is the future, right? How did it look? It looked good. It looked very good. It was the first time that all started this season, and I I think there were promising signs there for Liverpool. If, If they can keep them all fit and they can keep them all in form, and then there is the hope that Liverpool may actually start to put some of the chances they've created away this season. Um, fingers crossed, I suppose. Riomi actually impresses as Bolton win 2-0 at Millwall. This kid on loan from Arsenal only ever played for his school team until last year. Is he football's answer to Lynn's sanity, and could Wenger use him back at the mothership? Um, it, is a, it is an absolutely remarkable story. Um, again, uh, passed over by everybody in, in Japan uh, until uh, almost by chance. And he finds himself playing in, in, in the Premier League. 
Um, it's not quite at insanity levels yet, although uh, Rory Smith uh, uh, coined his own term for him, uh, um, virtual reality, um, which, um, which I kind of like. Whether Wenger could use him, I think he definitely could use him at, uh, at some point, although you know, right now I, I don't know that another sort of pacey, lightweight, skillful, you know, the second striker stroke winger is exactly what uh, Arsenal needs. Tottenham Hotspur held at Stevenage. Um, ben, reassure me. Tell me there's no reason to worry and that the replay is just uh, an inconvenience. I think it will be just an inconvenience. I think Spurs on their own pitch, um, which Harry will say is a lot smoother than the one they played on, on Sunday um, they will have too much pace and too much power for Stevenage. Although Stevenage deserved their replay, I thought they were excellent yesterday. But I think I think Harry's Spurs will just have a bit too much in the replay. Gab, Gus Hiddink is the new boss, Angie. Are you as excited as I am? Yes, I'm terribly excited at the prospect of uh, a Dagestani billionaire assembling a team of ridiculously paid superstars who uh, live in Moscow and then commute the 1,200 miles down to Angie just for uh, matches, uh, which is, which is of course, wonderful at pushing football in the Mahachkala community. Um, no, I, I, I think it's a freak shot. Look, anybody can do whatever they want with their money. Um, it's just a bit disappointing to me. Goose Hitting has managed a, a top European team in a, in a top European league uh, since uh, uh, 13 years ago this week when he was sacked by Real Madrid. I think he is one of the great managers in the world. I'd love to see him at the highest level competing against other great footballing minds and, you know, not sort of uh, uh, participating in, uh, in Solomon Karimov's sort of gilded cage for a lot of money. And by the way, the people who are saying I'm using double standards because I defended Samuel Eto'o for going there, it's slightly different. Samuel Eto'o's 30 years old. He's got ambitions after he retires. I think it's pretty much an open secret. He'd like to run for, uh, for office in, in Cameroon. And, I think he's looking at it as sort of his three-year stint there. We'll get him the, the, the sort of 40 million or so after tack that he, he needs and, and can use to, to try and, and become president of his country. I don't think Goose Hiddink has any reason to, to save up money. I don't know if there's anything that he, he could possibly buy that he doesn't already own, uh, except maybe, um, I don't know, um, a used space shuttle or something. That's all we've got time for this week. But remember, you can always go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find your news, your gossip. You'll find great analysis. You can also follow us all on Twitter. You can follow my web chat on Tuesdays. Um, it's a great way to keep in touch with us because we really do want to hear from you. Till next week. Bye-bye. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.